Let's begin now. And we're live after hours, 6 to 9 p.m., 610 Sports Radio. Dusty Lag is your host tonight. Thanks for joining in as the Royals go to, what, 6-0 and in their last six. So now we can start talking a little bit of baseball. We're going to lead with that. We're going to lead with baseball, whether you like it or not, because the Royals are playing actually entertaining baseball, and it's all been behind the stick and the fielding of one Bobby Wood Jr. The Royals sweep the Mets. The Royals sweep the Minnesota Twins. And now the Royals all of a sudden might have found their superstar or their superstar has arrived. And one of the things that's great about that is that it opens up the door for a huge conversation uh, to have in the offseason. But the other thing is, is that it's nice to see your superstar actually arrive. That ball is crushed to center field. That is 12 RBIs for Bobby Witt Jr. on this homestand. Bobby Witt Jr. Um, officially has arrived as a superstar, in my opinion. In fact, this is Rob Collins via Twitter. Per the Royals PR department, Bobby Witt Jr. is one home run shy from becoming the first player in MLB history to record at least 20 home runs and 30 stolen bases in each of his first two big league seasons. The thing is, that stat's not ending. That stat could expand itself to a 30-30 season. Bobby Wood Jr., of course, hitting the home run in the audio that you heard today. Now 19 home runs, 31, 32 stolen bases, which means he's 11 home runs shy of the 30-30. Bobby Wood Jr., the superstar that you've always wanted to have for the Royals, he's actually came to life really more so in the last two months of the season. And this season, at least in these last six games in this homestand, which the Royals were 6-0 and in, sweeping the Twins, sweeping the Mets. Now, again, the Mets a dumpster fire. They got rid of everybody. They had a terrible season. Then Scherzer comes out with the realization that they have told him that he the team is actually not ready for this year nor next year, that it will be 2025, 2026. And Bobby Wood Jr. in this homestand. Now, again, six games, small sample size, but 15-27, three home runs, two doubles, 13 RBI, and three stolen bases. Again, I don't think that that sort of per, you know production is going to happen every single homestand. That's not what we're trying to say here. But the thing is, is that Bobby Wood Jr. is doing something that the Royals had hoped he'd done. And again, it seems like it's so long that it's happened until it's arrived. But the real truth of it is, is that it's only his second season. They're just now past second time of or the, the halfway point of his second season. And Bobby Wood Jr. is showing you stuff that maybe last year you thought, you might see a glimpse of, and then you might see something more of as it gets more evolved and more evolved in that season. And now all of a sudden here we are and MLB network had a graphic the other day of a player comparison in their first 256 games. Now, again, I'm not saying that he's going to be a hall of fame, you know, MLB player, but the, the chances of that seem likely because his superstar comparisons are, well, they're off the charts. And one of them is in his first 256 games, a person he's compared to is Barry Bonds. And Barry Bonds in his first 256 games, average was 239, home runs were 39, RBI 100, on-base percentage 324, slugging 450. Bobby Witt Jr., 257, almost 20 points higher in average, 
38 home runs, one shy of that. He has 141 RBI, which is 41 more than we just mentioned with Bonds. A 297 on base percentage. Bonds massively higher with 324. Slugging, they're pretty much the same. 443 compared to 450. The thing is, the Pittsburgh Pirates and Barry Bonds had a big discussion. They were on uh, the same page for half or maybe a little bit less than half of Barry Bonds' career. And then all of a sudden, Barry Bonds goes to the Giants, becomes the conglomerate that he is, however you want to use Barry Bonds' career, got huge, ended up being the most home run hitter of all time in Major League Baseball. The thing that's interesting about Bobby Witt Jr. is that in every single stat, it seems that there's some sort of big league player that is either a future Hall of Famer or somebody that was going on the same trajectory that got a certain sort of contract after production help. This was what they talked about when it came to Bobby Wood Jr. MLB Network, and then we'll start a discussion on what is the offseason for the Royals and the huge question that we have when it comes to Bobby Wood Jr. This is just battle mode. You don't see 102-103. You cannot come off that. So he's getting into this count. The deeper it gets, 101 right by him. And here we go. You're hanging off for dear life. 102 off inside. Fouls off a of bucko too. He's battling. How do you spit on that, Bobby? I have no idea, but now we're going heater. In off. Run that back. Look at the count. 3-2. Can't walk him. I'll tell you what. If he has the stones to throw him a breaking ball right yeah, here, he probably, he probably punches him out. But he decides, I'm going to live and die with my one, which 102, good. which you have to. Watch where this pitch is. And it's not like Bobby's in a great position to hit. This is just athleticism. What did you talk about? Lightning hands. Is that why, in your mind, he can get to a pitch like that? Absolutely. Because a mortal hitter can't get to a Absolutely. pitch. Absolutely. I mean, the ability to pull his hands in, quick twitch, can't teach this type of stuff. 90th percentile and expected slug and sprint speed, Trout and Tatis. Bring up his base running metrics. This is the last two years. Ellie Dela Cruz is putting him on notice as one of the fastest players in the game, but stolen bases, he's third. Stack cast runner runs, he's first. And sprint speed, the last two years, he's number one. So comparisons to Trout and to Fernando Tatis. Now, the Angels, obviously in a larger market than the Kansas City Royals. Kansas City Royals are in a small market. We understand that. We know what the business is. And in past, we've seen superstars come through the Royals organization and then end up either being able to walk, traded for lesser than what you probably could have gotten. And that's what's going to happen, I think, in my personal opinion, when it comes to Bobby Wood Jr. It's a big topic for Bobby Wood Jr. Now, obviously, the superstardom is there, the the rise of the best player on the team, the hottest player in baseball, not named Shohei Otani, who is pitching tonight. I do have a little two, two-leg parlay tonight. We'll get into that because it's involving with the Hall of Fame game, which everyone will watch, but no one will care because nobody knows a single player on the field. No Rodgers, no Deshaun Watson, Jets, and Browns. We'll get into that a little bit later. But the thing about Bobby Wood Jr. and the Royals and what's making this very fun slash very hard to kind of realize is the fact that Bobby Wood Jr., is probably, not probably, is going to get a massive contract. Now, the Royals have not really ever been the type that have given out massive deals, right? Like Eric Hosmer at one point, whoever you listened to or whatever you heard whenever Eric Hosmer was kind of running out of time, there was a contract maybe available, and then the San Diego Padres came in and he ended up signing with that one. There's a lot of different ins and outs of that whole situation, but that was kind of the last big superstar to come through the Royal system to have this sort of debate where it's like, 
Do you sign or extend to a massive deal, or do you, A, let walk or trade? Carlos Beltran won, Johnny Damon won of recent past, and you look at Bobby Wood Jr., five-tool player, superstar potential, and in this year, when they compare the names to Trout and Fernando Tatis, it sends my weird brain into two different locations. One, Bobby Witt Jr. will soon, if not already, be on the same playing field or discussion platform as these type of players. Tatis, Ailey De La Cruz, which is also a surprise. We'll see how he is in his sophomore season. But Bobby Witt Jr. seems to have figured things out to put him on that level. Again, we saw the home numbers this weekend. The power was there. Being able to turn his hips on a 102-mile-an-hour fastball and put it over the fence. Those sort of things you don't see from everybody. And that sort of play elevates the team around you. Now, I'm not saying it's Bobby Witt Jr.'s sole reason that everybody else has kind of, you know, picked up their game, or maybe it's because you've cut some fat from the past and now you have your own lean team inside your locker room and there's no questions on, you know, maybe who the leaders are, who the captains are. And then there's the discussion of, okay, do you sign now, like the Padres did with Fernando Tatis Jr., given the big deal before we even get into the conversation of trying to think what you can do or where the contract could potentially go, more or less, or is he officially on the trading block? Because if you were to trade Bobby Wood Jr., you would get a haul for him. And I know we talked about this on Monday night, which was the day before the trade deadline. And now Bobby Wood Jr. on the team didn't get traded. We heard J.J. Bacolo's comments where there was a couple of things that just didn't flow through that had some big names involved with them, whether it was Singer, whether it was Sal, whoever it may have been. But there's no debate that Bobby Wood Jr. has arrived. There's no debate that his name is Bobby Baseball, and that's what people are going to call him right now. In fact, I'm going to think of one other person with a baseball uh, as their last name for their nickname, and that was Don Matting. And I don't know if you can get to that category, but Don Matting, Hall of Fame baseball player, obviously you know his resume. But Bobby Wood Jr., playing on the team that he plays and the market that he plays in, it brings up a very, very interesting debate this offseason. Do you extend, lock him in, build new stadium, and build your franchise around a player like this? Or do you continue to do what you've kind of shown in this trade deadline, cut the fat from everybody that's in the past, rebuild your farm system, bring up young players? I know a lot of people, 913-586-7610, probably would be like, don't even speak that juju. Let's keep him on the team. Let's lock him up. That just hasn't been the Royals' way of life in the past 25 years, at least to my knowledge. And a guy like Bobby Wood Jr. right now, to me, you're left with one of two options. Either you give him the massive extension, let him be on your team, let him be the future of your roster. When Salvador Perez finally hangs it up, Bobby Wood Jr. at the end of the day is your captain. Or you do what you do with the small market team, what you see Tampa Bay do and see how they remain successful as a small market team. Trade away a huge asset and get a huge haul back of either proven and top in, you know, farm system players, or you go all young and keep them all there at the same time. The other popular discussion today outside of a six-game win streak for the Kansas City Royals was Chris Jones. I feel how it's getting impatient. I feel why you want more. It just hits a little bit closer to home. There's other teams that go through this, and it's the same storyline every year. Diana Rossini of NFL Network joined Pat McAfee's show, and they had some, well, interesting snippets on the Chris Jones signing when slash if or how much longer. You're listening to After Hours with Dusty Likens on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Brought to you by Twin Peaks. Eats, drinks, scenic views. Back in on After Hours on a... I don't know, looks like the Amazon rainforest outside. It's amazing to see it this green, though, in August. 
in fact that it's August is also sad, but one thing is for sure, football is officially back tonight as the Hall of Fame game will take place tonight against the New York Jets and the Cleveland Browns, although I believe there is like 20-plus players for the Browns not playing, and then, of course, Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, the two that won't be playing tonight, but we do have some bets on that game we'll get into at the 645 block, and then at 7 o'clock, Aaron Latta, 41 KSHB, will join us and give us some insight of camp as he's one of those sick people that are always out there in St. Joe. I'll be out there tomorrow, though, which is kind of interesting, uh, hosting with Alex Gold from 10 to 2. So make sure you tune into that. Pete Sweeney will join us. Chiefs Red Half Hour at 1130. It's also Club 610 live from St. Joe. So it should be interesting. Let's just hope there's not a, uh, I don't know, significant, like, shelf cloud that happens over our uh, – over our tent like it did last Saturday, but we'll be out there tomorrow with Cody and Golden. Saturday we'll do the uh, after hours live from training camp edition. Of course, training camp coverage from St. Joe is brought to you by Twin Peaks, Eats, Drinks, Scenic Views. And speaking of training camp, I understand that people are starting to get impatient. I understand that people are starting to get annoyed um, with the Chris Jones situation. Pat McAfee had Diana Rossini on his show today, and they had this conversation about Chris Jones and the Kansas City Chiefs when and might and what a contract situation might look like. We were talking a little bit about the holdouts. Um, do you have any news on any of those? Chris Jones, uh, Bosa, any of the running backs? Uh, any any updated news that we haven't heard yet on the, on the holdouts? Uh, I'd say the Chris Jones, the most recent stuff, I had a conversation with someone this morning uh, that's involved in the negotiations, and they, they still feel really optimistic they're going to get it done. Look, the, like the number Chris Jones wants is it, – it's a big number. It's a big number. But uh, the Chiefs, every conversation I've had with them over the last few months has been – Nothing but, you know, understanding his value, understanding his role in the team. We want to get this done. We feel good we're going to get this done. We're optimistic. Um, so that's one of those where I think it feels a little icky right now, but I think it's going to work out by the time we get to at least the third, fourth week of camp here. Is everybody being patient? I, this seems interesting. We talked to Schefter yesterday, and he said kind of like it'll get worked out, it'll get figured out. So, like, with some of these guys, the teams are just like, well, we have a deal with right now. We'll deal with that at a different time. Is that how teams are dealing with it? Or is it just expected that they'll talk in a couple weeks? Why is this, you think? Yeah, it's funny, right, because you have some of these deals where there's that sense of urgency and they're going up against the clock all the time, and you're like, well, why are you waiting so long? I feel like with this, like, even going back to, like, the Ring of Honor ceremony I attended with the Chiefs a few months ago, like, I think it was in June, you know, even just talking to them, they're like, yeah, we'll get it done. Andy's like, ah, oh, Chris will show up, you know, and then he didn't show up. So that, that, that threw a wrench. They weren't expecting him not to show up. That, mm. that was where it did get a little off track. But the sense I get is like, it'll get done. Chris wants to be there. They want Chris there. Um, look, could it, could it go off track? Yeah, of course. We've I, seen it happen. I'm just very, it, I think- I- I'm very interested how it's just like kind of take your time to figure these out. We mm-hmm. got time. It's like, yeah, we don't have a lot of time. Training camps happen. Well, because it's training camp, right? And you, you know how it goes. Like, you don't, Chris Jones doesn't need to be out there. Well, also, though, let's get that guy in the building. Yeah. Good yeah. to have a guy in the building. Let's do this oh. thing. It seems like the business side of it's figuring it out. Preseason's becoming much less more important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Preseason is getting devalued, yeah. I oh, think, yeah. from all standpoints. Now, players obviously don't like it, but now you're seeing like front offices don't really care either. Nah, we got like two weeks. Yeah. Chris Jones need to be here really? Nah, they're, nah. they're all kind of even admitting it right now, you know? So I'll be excited to see what the new CBA preseason looks like with how business has been handled. So I see both sides of the argument. I think I see the fan side of it. Then I think I see the, the 
personnel and professional side of it where it is, you know, maybe Pat McAfee's onto something. Maybe he is, you know, maybe he's onto something of per se, like how important is preseason? How important is, you know, getting those reps? Now, the thing that I will say for the Chiefs, at least, is that from what we've heard from the New Heights podcast with uh, Travis and Jason Kelsey is the fact that Andy Reid camps are a little bit different. Um, you know, Andy Reid, you know, puts a lot of pressure, a lot of, you know, finesse into drills. We took, we played it the other night, their 80 yard drill, where it doesn't matter if you throw an 80 yard bomb and they score, you go five yards at a time until you get to the touchdown, essentially a well-programmed gasser, which we can all know from back in our sports days. We never liked those words when you're on a football field, it's hot in St. Joe, it's muggy. It's a little bit different. There's game situations. So I understand from like maybe a, fans perspective that I want to see Chris Jones out there. I also see it from like a business side and a player side who's trying to get paid is, well, I'm not going out there and risking injury. You've seen it all around football already. You've seen it with Tim Patrick in Denver. You've seen it with, well, Kadarius Tony in the Kansas city chiefs camp. And again, I'm not saying that Chris Jones is injury prone, but when you're expecting a big payday or a big extension, the last thing you want to do is go out and practice and rupture something that you don't like. The other thing that I see from this is that this is the wait and see game. And you see this sort of thing every single year, no matter who it is, what position, there's always some sort of player on the back end of a deal where there's one year left and they're trying to get security. Aaron Rodgers, he was a guy a couple years ago with the Green Bay Packers. He wanted the bag. He wanted security. He was threatening to retire, go do Jeopardy, whatever it was at the time the wild man Aaron Rodgers was trying to decide. Saquon Barkley in New York this offseason. And again, I believe, I truly do believe a deal gets done. I just think there's that fine line of, years and cash and security and Mike Giannetti of spot track who joined the drive last week kind of had a conversation about what a contract looks like and Jones has a lot of leverage when it comes to that contract yeah a lot there's there's the football side of it and then there's that really strong you know business intellect side of it right there so it's it's not something they want to you know sit around on which is why I'm surprised we're still having this conversation you know at the end of July heading towards August here but I, I agree uh, look I appreciate what Kansas City's doing. They are they are the number one team to be able to suppress contracts right now. We you know New England went through that for a long, long time, and they were successful able to keep keep players around. However, New England let a lot of good players walk too, and some of those were on the defensive line. So we've seen Kansas City now lose Tyron Matthew and Tyreek Hill because they simply had a number they wouldn't go north of. I have a feeling that's exactly what's happening here, and somebody's going to have to push. Somebody will push eventually. And then Mike Giannetti also said this is the expectation for a Jones deal in Kansas City. Yeah, extension-wise, I, I, I hope it's not more than three years. Uh, you know, I want this thing to be kind of tight and tight, and meaty and, and impactfully guaranteed. So something around that three for 90 seems like a good, a good sticking point. I don't think you have to go too much more north of that uh, on an a- average annual. And then if you can guarantee 75 of that, that's a really nice, you know, 70 to 80 percent guarantee for that small tidy contract so we're tacking on the 20 million due this year and you're over the 100 million mark so i i think that's about right um that's where my hat would be if i throw it in the ring but we know how this stuff works there's a there's a lot of semantics that can get thrown into this especially for marketing purposes a lot of semantics a lot of numbers a lot of different things and again the two things that he mentions Janetti, that is a spot track is tyra matthew tyree kill uh two positions in which i don't think the chiefs necessarily need to pay their money towards. And one thing that I've always thought was interesting is that the chiefs have a few people that are within their circle of trust. I believe Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith, Chris Jones, Patrick Mahomes, and Travis Kelsey, I believe are in that fab five. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm not. I just think that we see this story every year. This one hits a lot closer to home because it does hit you right in the chest with your fan base. Not only that, 
but it's at that point where Chris Jones is at that special age in the NFL. He's almost 30 years old. He wants a lot of money. Aaron Donald got a ton. A lot of players below him that are younger are getting money that he might be in the same similar ballpark. And not only that, but you didn't pay Tyreek Hill, but we've seen in the past, at least from this year and the years in the year past, the Chiefs don't need an electric wide receiver because of where they're at with Patrick Mahomes. And the Chiefs drafted a safety and went and found a younger safety in Justin Reed, who's made that defensive secondary a little bit better, as you saw Juan Thornhill leave, Brian Cook take over. And now Justin Reed is the vet safety back there. And plus, we kind of knew Tyron Matthews' better days were behind him and that he was going to move forward and somebody would eventually sign him. When it comes to Patrick Mahomes, though, there's a lot of comparisons to other quarterbacks in the league. One comparison, though, in my opinion, has always been Tom Brady. I'll explain on the other side. You're listening to After Hours with Dusty Likens on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Brought to you by Twin Peaks. Eats, drinks, scenic views. Back here on 610 Sports Radio, Fast 33 Minutes. Here until 9 o'clock, 8 o'clock, we do the out-of-left-field questions. 7 o'clock, Aaron Ladd of 41KSHB will join us on this wonderful program as he is slowly but surely becoming a fan of this show. I didn't say that. He did. I don't put words in other people's mouths. It doesn't work out normally for you very well. I've tried it a couple times. Not Don't want to be on the other side of that. Don't want to be on the side of that. From the 816, Dustman, what's up, brother? How about today? I assume you're talking about the Royals game. Not only that, but then they say, would you trade Chris Jones for two first-round draft picks? Of course I would, but nobody in their right mind would. Or is it still a hard no? How about if we throw in some titleist clubs with the picks? LOL. Well, the fact that I already have titleist clubs and they're hitting pretty well right now, I don't necessarily want to do any of that. I also don't think Chris Jones, you'd ever get two first round picks. That's uh, that's La La Land. Uh, that's another Ryan Gosling movie. Never seen it. I have. It's a lot. I don't know why I just lied about that right now, but I have seen La La Land. Um, Throughout the offseason, a lot of conversation has been made about quarterbacks getting signed. We still need Joe Burrow to get a massive contract before we get into more speculations of Patrick Mahomes. But one quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, who took a pay cut of 35 mil to help his team to be successful and try to get what we all know is Aaron Rodgers wants one more Super Bowl because then two kind of solidifies you as above the rest. Like he'd have more than because he's in the same categories like Flacco, Drew Brees. I'm sure he doesn't want to be in that category. I mean, statistically wise, he's a lot better than both of those guys. Eh, maybe not Drew Brees. I need to give Drew Brees a little bit more credit. But the number one jersey sold in the NFL right now is none other than number 15 for the Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes. I don't know if that's just because everybody in Kansas City now is officially like, okay, if I'm going to buy one jersey and put the money towards it, 15 seems like the safe bet, or an 87, maybe not a 95. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm, I don't think, I don't know, honestly. Um, but I think when you look at, Patrick Mahomes and the comparisons that we've always had, at least after the first year of his career, was how much can he be as similar to Tom Brady-ish. Now, the rings, that's going to be a hard number to get to, but having the number one jersey sold in the league, a lot of years, you'd always see Tom Brady's number 12. In fact, when he went to Tampa, number one jersey sold for like a full year. In in, uh, New England, Tom Brady, number one jersey sold. People become bandwagon fans. I like Tom Brady. I'm going to buy his jersey. Patrick Mahomes, now the number one selling jersey in all of football. Patrick Mahomes also knowing that he's going to take less money or try to be manageable when it comes to this team because he cares more about winning than he does about getting paid. Now, look, I didn't live in New England. I didn't see what kind of endorsements Tom Brady was getting when it came to Patrick Mahomes or when it came to endorsements in 
in the city of or in the state of Massachusetts, but I assume it was probably large. We know that there were other ones outside of that with Tom Brady that he was making, just like Patrick Mahomes makes a lot of money outside of the NFL. Honestly, who the hell wants Roger Goodell's autograph? Sorry, the Hall of Fame game is on tonight, and they're showing some uh, some B-roll or whatever it is, and somebody has a thermos cup that they just gave to Roger Goodell, and he's signing with a Sharpie. Can never wash that cup again because the ink will just wash off, and it's Roger Goodell's autograph. That's got to be worth, like, what, five bucks? Anyways, uh, but Patrick Mahomes also clearly, without a debate, is the best player in the NFL. The, the top 100 list is coming out. He'll be number one. We all know that. In fact, it might already be out. I'm not sure 100% on that, but I assume if it is, he's number one. And quote from the league and executives, he's clearly the best player in the league and just entering the front end of his prime window. An exec once, or an exec has said, quote, he reminds so much of Rodgers. This is the time of his career where just like Rodgers, the final polishing of his game will be in his play clock manipulation, calling timeouts, and knowing even better when to give up on plays. It continues by some guys do a better, some guys do better with more man pressure, knowing that there are less people in coverage and they can throw the football even if they are going to get hit. Another head coach said, quote, some guys like to play against quarterback vision zone defenses. Then you have the freak shows who can do it all and play off schedule. Mahomes is at the top of that list of freak shows. That's that's the list, freak show list. An opposing defensive coach put it this way, quote, he plays on schedule, off schedule. The guy has more schedules than Grand Central Station. Patrick Mahomes, without a doubt, is the best football player in the league. In fact, he's the face of the league. He is the best quarterback, which is the number one position on the field, and everybody seems to know it now. Kind of like when Brady was entering his prime. There was, you know, the things about Tom is like, okay, well, nobody wins games like Brady. Nobody puts their team in a better position than Tom Brady. And the questions that we always had going into every year was, can New England do it again? And every single year, the same conversation was to be had. Who's the head coach and who's the quarterback? It's Belichick and it's Brady. Okay, well, if that's the case, I expect them to be in the AFC Championship game. I expect them to be the representative for the AFC in the Super Bowl. Now, it doesn't happen every year, right? Things happen. Things are, you know, out of someone's control for some parts of it. Now, one of them might have been Patrick Mahomes' fault. He was what some people would say in a later audio that we'll hear normal for the first time and they lose to Cincinnati. But the other thing about Mahomes and the comparison to Tom Brady is that Tom Brady, now that we've kind of gotten to the, the gist of what his end of his career, he's finally retired. By the way, I think it's Tom Brady's birthday today to have a more coincidence to this topic. But Tom Brady was the type that once he won two and three, it was like, okay, how many more of these can I get to where I can get to Michael Jordan status? He eventually would pass Michael Jordan's status in total rings one. But again, that's where he was going. He wanted to win more games, and he let the money in itself kind of pay out through the long run. He knew he was going to be successful outside of the game. He was already successful while in the game and getting endorsements. And Patrick Mahomes came to uh, the media to talk about his. When it, It's an Albert Breer uh, article when he wrote this, but it says, quote from uh, Patrick Mahomes, I've looked at Tom's model and how he did it. That's it. You want to make money for yourself and for family. You want to keep pushing the market forward and other quarterbacks. You don't want to be someone that they use against other players. But at the same time, I want these other guys to get paid. I want Chris Jones to be at training camp. I want Travis Kelsey to always be making money. I want everybody on the team here. He goes on to say, if I have a great offensive line, it's everything around me. It's all about go. It's all about having open conversations with Brett Veach, Andy Reid, Clark Hunt, and just knowing where, where the happy medium is. That will be out there throughout my entire career. To me, it's not always about being the highest paid. It's about making enough money for me and my family and keep moving the game forward for everybody. 
which seems to be the conversation that we've all seen throughout this offseason when Herbert got paid. People were pissed because it's like, oh, Patrick Mahomes is now like the seventh paid quarterback in the league. Patrick Mahomes doing just fine. You know, he got the 10-year, $500 million contract, half a billion dollars. He's the best quarterback in the game. He's been successful every time he's played. And you have the best on all fronts when it comes to Patrick Mahomes. You have the face of the league. You have the number one player in the league popularity-wise. And not only that, but you have a guy that gets it. You have a guy that's not trying to be, oh, I want an extension and I want $55 million more on top of my salary. I want this or this. Just take care of me to where it's respectful and it gets my family in a nice position. I've got my endorsements. I've got my head on straight, and I know what I want to do, and I want to win rings. And since Patrick Mahomes has been the starter for the Kansas City Chiefs, five consecutive AFC Championship games, three Super Bowls, two titles, two MVPs, and two Super Bowl MVPs. And if you don't think the guy is serious about winning, I mean, look at their resume. They're always in the AFC Championship. They're always winning their division. And three out of the five years that he's been a starter, they've been in the Super Bowl. Speaking of football and the Super Bowl, we can't get there until the season starts. And tonight it starts. I've got a few bets tonight. One of them is the Hall of Fame game because football's back. We'll dive into that. We'll talk about what this game means because it means one thing. The light is finally at the end of the tunnel to the doom and gloom of the dog days of summer. You're listening to After Hours with Dusty Likens on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Brought to you by Twin Peaks. Eats, drinks, scenic views. Back here, final second of the 6 o'clock hour. Then we'll get in joined by Aaron Ladd of KSHB 41 News here a little bit later on. He was at a pretty special event. We'll ask him about that. We'll also ask him about a couple Chiefs players that seem to be on popular watch. Yes, Justin Ross. We actually have a topic about that a little bit later on tonight. But where we want to start now is I think if we can officially confirm that football is back. And it might not be the most exciting game. It might not be the most, you know, entertaining game. In fact, we've seen guys like Carrington Harrison tweet out the list of people that are not going to be playing in tonight's game and asking if people really bet American currency on the game. Well, I did, but you know me. Degenerate gambler. Chiefs made me a lot of money last year. Justin Jefferson made me a lot of money last year. So I stayed up a couple units when it came to betting on football. And I'm excited just to be able to bet football again. Now, Hey, I'm with you all. This game sucks. This game's boring. But this is the actual proof and evidence that football is officially back. And obviously you have uh, Joe Thomas going into the Hall of Fame, Darrell Rivas going into the Hall of Fame, um, DeMarcus Ware going into the Hall of Fame, and they just showed a picture of Darrell Rivas, and my God, that guy has enjoyed retirement. Um, Finally can just have anything he wants to eat, apparently. And that's rude, and I apologize for that because I shouldn't judge anybody else's as body, but that's just from what I saw. Uh, this is from the last topic from the 816. Pat being seventh-paid quarterback is a good thing. Why are people worried about how much money he makes? He is just fine. I mean, that was kind of initially the narrative of the statement of what we were talking about is that Patrick Mahomes knows he's fine. Patrick Mahomes will never have to worry about a dime in his life. In fact, his two kids that he currently has – they're well off for the rest of their life, I would assume. It's just more so about, like, getting paid respectively so it doesn't look like it's, you know, I'm taking way less just to win, and eventually you're going to get to a point where, hey, all right, I've made enough money. I've got Coors Light, State Farm, BioSteel, Adidas, Oakley. I mean, my God. If I had one of those, I would never do radio again. Um, the other thing from the 816 is people don't realize that his contract is pretty much fully guaranteed. 
even if he isn't the highest per year, he is guaranteed almost double than every other single quarterback. In fact, that's basically true. And then from the 5-6-3, Mahomes took less money so Justin Herbert could get paid. It's a wild place in the NFL. That's kind of funny, um, but I can understand why you might think that that might be where we got out of our uh, our quote from Patrick Mahomes. But Hall of Fame game tonight, it gives you belief. In fact, it gives you 100% belief that football is here. The other thing that's around this game is that this game will also be featured probably on Hard Knocks, which that premieres on Sunday. You got the franchise last night, which is where everybody starts to hear the different voices of 610 Sports Radio. I think the first one we heard was Fesco. Kling was in there quite a bit. Binkley, I think, was in there too. So you know Binkley was rewinding that and listening to it again, rewinding it, listening to it again, rewinding it, listening to it again. Good for him, though. They know that his voice preaches football and that it's pretty accurate. But you get to bet tonight. You get to bet on football again. You get to see football again. And the sad thing is, is that tonight, this game will be more entertaining than any XFL game. And I'm one of those guys that tries to get people out of the realm of like being lazy and just enjoying football because you'll watch the XFL. You'll watch, you know, a boring Mac 10 or whatever the hell the Maction is on Saturdays. You'll watch those games. And this game is one of those games where like you might be into it for the first, you know, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, and then 8 o'clock hits, and you're like, okay, you know what? I'm out of this. I don't want to watch this anymore. Um, But obviously, you have Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, both sitting out, Miles Garrett sitting out, a lot of players sitting out. So it's just more so of a feel on the Hall of Fame field to kind of see football come to fruition. And the other thing, too, is that you'll have preseason games right around the corner. The Chiefs play on the 13th, I believe, is a noon game against the Saints. But the best part about this is that the dog days of summer are over. You can finally watch football on HBO. You can watch football on YouTube. You can watch football tonight on NBC. And again, this is some quotes from the, or not some quotes, but some facts from the, from NBC, the plate on NBC, the Jets last time they played on MTV or NBC was uh, the butt fumble game of Mark Sanchez. Now, the one thing that's also interesting to this topic is when you talk about the hall of fame game and the two teams that are featured, No necessary reason to talk about the Browns. I think the Browns still finish fourth in their division. I don't think that they're going to make any noise. I don't think Deshaun Watson is the same quarterback. I think the time off kind of affected him in a certain way. But you look at the Jets, and a lot of people's favorites in the NFC or the AFC East is the Jets over the Dolphins, Bills, Patriots. I think the Jets have a chance to take that division. I like that that division's a little bit tougher than it was in the last couple years. The Bills, obviously, three consecutive years, they've won that AFC East. But with a healthy Dolphins team, with a healthy Bills team, if they can all get on the same page and the Jets staying healthy, that's one kind of that's one division that can, you know, beat up on each other. Now, the AFC West, we obviously know the Chiefs are the favorite to win that division. Not a real threat in that division outside of the Chargers, because you look at Kansas City being the favorite. The Chargers probably a playoff contender, if not a playoff uh, presenter with Justin Herbert. Now, again, this is Staley's last year to prove it. Kellen Moore on the doorstep to take over for that team if all goes well. But the Jets are an interesting team, right? Rodgers gets signed, takes $35 million pay cut to make sure the team can get built and be successful for the season. They have the reigning and defending offensive rookie of the year. They have the reigning and defending best uh, corner and defensive player of the year in Sauce Gardner. And I think when you look at this Jets team, they have a defensive-minded head coach. They have a quarterback, and I think an organization that is kind of what you don't see at this point in the time for quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers We kind of saw with Peyton Manning with the Denver Broncos where their head coach, I believe at the time, was what, John Fox? And basically said, hey, just go do what you do, and I'll worry about the defense. 
We kind of saw this in Kansas City when, when Montana came and joined the Chiefs, leaving San Fran, and there was kind of like the bitterness between Montana and, and Schottenheimer, where it was like, well, I'm going to call the plays, and Montana's like, well, I'm a four-time Super Bowl champion. Agree to disagree. Rodgers and the Jets kind of seems like a great situation because of who Robert Sala is. Aaron Rodgers has Nathaniel Hackett again, and they seem to work well, at least a lot better than Russell Wilson and Nathaniel Hackett. But again, the best part about tonight is that football's back, the light at the end of the tunnel is reachable and gettable. There's no more dog days of summer. I get it. Preseason football doesn't do it for everybody, but it's back. You can bet on this game. And the over-under tonight is 9-7 and seven in the last 16 years. 9-7. and seven. In the last five years, it's 4-1. and one. Tonight's over-under is 33 and a half. And with 29 total players, or if not more, not playing in this game, I mean, for God's sakes, we got Zach Wilson versus another guy that I don't even know who's playing for the Browns. No pressure on quarterbacks. Everybody's just trying to get the feel. I feel like we got to hammer the under in my parlay tonight is Shohei Otani, seven and a half strikeouts or more, which I can't get a half strikeout. So he needs eight strikeouts, and we need the under to hit of 33 and a half. Coming up on the other side, we'll get to the out of left field question. We'll get to Justin Ross. Justin Ross. Yeah, that's right, right? Justin Ross. Right? That's his name, right? Yeah. I always get him and John Ross confused because John Ross was the speedster. Now, Justin Ross is like the number one wide receiver in the entire preseason, entire world. We'll get into that. Aaron Ladd joins us next. Plus, we'll get into some audio from the Monday morning quarterback on why they think the Kansas City Chiefs and Philadelphia Eagles will repeat in the Super Bowl. You're listening to After Hours with Dusty Likens on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Brought to you by Twin Peaks. Eats, drinks, scenic views.